Hello, and welcome to The Publicist Speaks. Today, I have Carla Malden in our wonderful studio out here in sunny Los Angeles for the first time in a while, it feels like. Carla just released a novel, Search Heartache. This novel follows a woman who works through the deep and hidden sides of marriage and how things may not be exactly what they seem. Welcome, Carla. Thank you, Jessica. It's lovely to be here. I'm glad that you were able to make it down to our studio. It makes recording these so much nicer and so much more um, welcoming. I like the face-to-face conversation. It My makes it pleasure wonderful. to be here. All right. So I have a couple of questions for you. First one, we're going to start with what inspired this book? Well, I had, at the time when I first started thinking about the story that would evolve into being this book, I had recently lost my husband to cancer, and I was noticing a phenomenon of many marriages in my circle of friends around me crumbling. And actually, it made me angry. I had had no choice in being alone. My husband had died, and these people were doing what looked, for all intents and purposes, like throwing away perfectly good marriages for no good reason. So I began to think about maybe these marriages were not what they seemed. And that was the germ of the idea, that marriages are not necessarily what they seem. So this is something kind of like a way of processing your loss versus what you were perceiving as a chosen loss? Right. Well, yes, exactly. Sort of cavalier attitude towards marriage that I was not fortunate enough to have. My my fate was cast, and these people were just cavalierly choosing a fate. To me, it seemed like for no good reason. That's actually super a super interesting concept because you're you suffered a very tragic loss. And I have seen very similar things happen to people who I am very close to. Um, I I lost a friend almost a year ago to cancer. um, And her husband and her boys were just kind of left there. And watching the aftermath of that kind of loss is super confusing, I guess, especially being somebody who is from an outside perspective. So I kind of see how that comparison is, is complicated because you didn't have a choice. You lost because, because of cancer, you lost a a battle. Your husband lost a battle to cancer, but you're seeing your friends just like frivolously toss what you're seeing as a wonderful thing away. Correct. Correct. So I, as I said, it it made me have sort of a two-pronged reaction. First of all, mm-hmm. anger for their frivolous attitude about this. And then on a deeper level thinking, well, maybe these marriages were not what they seem. And in fact, several people said to me, well, you know, we didn't have what you had. And that was kind of stunning to me because I had assumed my whole life that my definition of marriage as I knew it was everyone's definition, that that was the working definition of marriage. So this was a kind of double whammy. First of all, these people are sacrificing what appear to be good marriages. And secondly, they're not the marriages I thought they were. Right. So did you, uh, in that time period when you were writing this book or thinking about writing this book, um, did you learn that marriage with for your friends wasn't quite, were there things that 
hold on. How do I want to ask this question? There were surprises. There were surprises. There were definitely surprises. Yeah, it wasn't. So it didn't end up being frivolous. Was there like a real, like real serious, like negative things happening or? Some of them, yes. Yeah. Some of them, yes. Some of them, not so much. Mm -hmm. And that's why when I wrote Search Heartache, I decided to make the transgression, for lack of a better word, <laughs> right. a little bit nebulous to make it kind of a gray area as to whether it was a valid reason mm -hmm. to cast aside a marriage or not. Mm -hmm. Because I just thought that was more interesting than making it black and white and right and wrong. Right. That is uh, quite interesting because it kind of does leave it up to kind of it's in the eye of the beholder. So people can see it as like, oh, this is incredibly horrible and I want nothing to do with you. You've violated my trust and everything. Or it's something that is a kind of a gray area. It depends on where you fall on the scale, whether or not this transgression is something that's forgivable because it was never inherently in the moment. Or if it's something that is un it 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 is forgivable because of kids because of pat because it was the past or because of all, any of these other things right when you were contemplating this book this novel um after you suffered this loss um did you have any experience with infidelity whether with yourself or watching a friend go through it no i actually really didn't and uh, this is entirely product of my imagination. It's complete fiction. But I wanted it to be virtual infidelity as opposed to real world infidelity to mirror the um, sort of concept that it is a gray area, mm -hmm. that this is not the real world. And yet this invader in our home, the computer, mm -hmm. has made it the real world. Right. So I have, I've never confirmed that I've experienced infidelity but in my previous relationship from where I am now I am very the likelihood of having been cheated on is very high um never did I get a confirmation one way or the other because he was insane but as being someone who is who was entirely suspect of being cheated on and having that intruder brought into my home I very much relate to the internet being something that makes infidelity seem more at your grasp. Now that I've gotten past that relationship and I've grown into where I am now, seeing infidelity, I have a different definition of what infidelity is now. Whereas before it was, you have taken my man or whatever and tainted him or whatever now i i would see infidelity as just a breach of trust what would you say it as? i i agree with both definitions but particularly the latter mm -hmm. i think that that was something that i wanted to explore is that it is not cut and dried it is not necessarily specific and it's kind of a rorschach test <laughs> how, where you're going to fall on that right. as you read search heartache did she overreact mm -hmm. or did she have just cause? Yeah. I do think that that's quite, that you left it quite up to the reader to depend on how they view your your character. And I think that that actually lends to a very interesting 
um, experience as being the reader versus as being the writer. One of my questions actually is, um, what what do you want your readers to take away from this book? It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> mostly, I hope they just go along for a pleasant ride. I hope right, they think it's fun and an interesting interesting read and learn something about Hollywood and Los Angeles <laughs> and all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. But in terms of thematically, um, I would hope that they would examine their marriage with a little more gentle a touch and mm-hmm. a little more, you know, forgiving an eye and think that maybe this isn't something that you can just toss aside and say next. Next, right. That's uh, a very interesting, okay. Right. I, I think that's that's really it. And then the flip side of that is that that doesn't just mean from her point of view that mm-hmm. she should have examined her marriage and think, do I want to be cavalier and toss this aside? Mm-hmm. Also from the husband's point of view in my particular story, is he doing something that is going to create an irrevocable breach in his marriage? Right. Even if it is only virtually mm-hmm. or revisiting the past or mm-hmm. whatever, or a chain of emails. Right. Is it going to create some sort of fault line that they're going to have to sort of tiptoe around for the rest of their married life? And is it worth it? Mm-hmm. So then I have a hypothetical question for you. Would it, in your mind, be different if they were not married, but they were dating? Another fascinating question, Jessica. <laughs> um, I think, yes, I think Mm -hmm. it would be different. Um, I think that there's a commitment that comes with marriage. Mm -hmm. And this is someone who lived with both her husbands (laughs) for a number of years before marrying. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a a must. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a commitment that comes with marriage that's very subtle, Mm -hmm. but profound. Okay. I think it has superficially to do with how the community looks at a couple as a unit mm-hmm. in a way that they don't necessarily, I think that's obviously changing, mm-hmm. but I think there's still something to that, that it's, you know, what is good for one member is good for the other. And mm-hmm. that it's, you're a team in a more soldered together way mm-hmm. than you might be if if you're just dating. A, just dating. Right. So I think also that if that happened when you were just dating, it would be very easy to walk away. So the conflict as to how to react is not as great. Right. So you say, so hypothetically again, um, in this book, we're talking about an infidelity in a marriage. Um, And you were talking about how when you lost your husband and you saw a bunch of your friends and your community and their marriages fall apart, would you say that if this situation happened and somebody who was just dating long-term say, for example, I've been in, I've been in a relationship for over four years now, which in coming from someone who is young like me, that's, that's not an insignificant amount of time. And I love him and we have, we've lived together for most of our relationship. Everything has been lovely. I couldn't see just walking away from him now, even though we're not married. I, I wouldn't see that as, or as a frivolous, would you say no, that? I would neither. And yeah. I, I don't mean to imply that okay. at all. I just think that it's um, slightly, again, very in a very nuanced way, mm-hmm. slightly different mm-hmm. and slightly easier. Right. But of course not. It's, when you're in a committed relationship and your trust is betrayed, 
your trust is betrayed, right, regardless of, of the legality of it. Absolutely. Um, that's super interesting. I never really, I never really thought about it in in ter- like I mean, being in so- as someone who's in a relationship with that I've been with for a long time, it's not something that I I don't think about infidelity very often because that's not just that's just not one of the con- the topics that I dwell on. Good. So <laughs> it's so it's really interesting to think about um, what would be considered infidelity because in a, in a day and age like we are in where everybody is connected through this thing in their pocket or through this thing on the desk or just the internet makes everybody closer and further apart at the same time everything is super accessible and super impersonal yes that's mm-hmm. a good word for it do you think that in today's world infidelity is easier or at maybe easier isn't the wrong word more common i i I honestly don't know but i think it's more complex okay how so because i think that in the virtual world there are many things that can happen that are breaches of trust even though again i say they're not in reality right um but i think you have to think about once some somebody else in a relationship, once a third party right. in a relationship takes up residence in somebody's imagination, mm-hmm. how much of an invasion is that? Right, of course. That's a that's quite and and I mean it'll it varies definitely um, by person to person and relationship to relationship. Sure. Um, when it comes to your novel and how this is fully fiction and it's all a product of your imagination. Could you feasibly imagine it just, her just walking away? Like immediately, just like dropping him and turning around and never looking back? No, I can't. Or would you quantify that as its own brand of infidelity? Like if she were just to turn her back on the marriage? Mm -hmm. Um, I wouldn't call it infidelity, but I would call it stupidity, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think that, and I think that her inability to do that as mm-hmm. any, I mean, she's she's just sane enough to have the inability to do right, that. Right, of course. She may be teetering on insanity <laughs> in certain moments in the book, mm-hmm. but she's sane enough not to just turn her back on the marriage. And I think that that um, makes her more understandable, I hope. I can see that. I can see that because it does. She does. She toys with the. She toys with the edge. Toes the line. Right. She toys with it, and that does make it relatable. It makes it just like she's going through the same trauma that he put her through. Well, they're of. both going through basically the to same be thing. cliche sort of midlife crisis. Yeah. They're both looking at their marriage. Is that all there is? Mm-hmm. They're you know looking down the barrel of empty nest syndrome mm-hmm. when it's going to be just the two of them. Right. And what of substance is left there between the two of them mm-hmm. from from what attracted them to each other in the first place. So they're both looking at the same thing, just dealing with it in different in ways. In different ways. Yeah, that's super interesting. So would you say that your book also kind of talks about how marriage isn't easy and how it's always work, even when you have a child who's grown and almost ready to be done? Yes, I would say that. Mm-hmm. And I would say that... At that particular point in time, it can be extra challenging. That right. may be one of the 
nodes in a marriage when it's particularly difficult, in fact. When when your you, kids are done? When the, when the kids are leaving. I yeah. think it can be particularly challenging. And so you have one daughter with your first husband, correct? correct. And she, uh, your husband passed away 13 years ago, correct? Yes. Um, and now she's, how old is she now? She's 32. She's 32 now. So she wasn't, so she she got to grow up with a father most of her life, like yes. most of the younger years. Yes. Um, my my boyfriend had lost his mother um, five years ago now. And watching the second marriage with, so his stepmother was brought in very quickly after mom passed away. And that has definitely left some tension in their family unit. I'm just trying to like delicately place around me. And I'm going to jump in and say, (laughs) I think that's very much more of a phenomenon when the wife dies. Really? Men tend to remarry in my anecdotal observation. (laughs) But truly, I think men tend to marry much more quickly than women. So you and my father-in-law have a kind of a similar experience. You both lost partners and you both remarried. Do you believe that a second marriage after the loss of a first partner is any different than a second marriage after choosing to leave a negative situation with a first husband or with a first partner? Well, I can't really answer that on the basis of experience, right? but just intellectually, I feel mm-hmm. like it probably is. I think that um, it's probably challenging for the person who marries a widow or widower. Mm-hmm. I would hope that they don't, but you assume they have in the back of their mind all the time having to live up to this person who now, for all they know, has been sainted in someone's <laughs> memory, you know, <laughs> right. which is not fair and, of course, not true. Right. Um, no marriage is perfect, first, mm-hmm. second, or third. Oh, absolutely. But I think that, um, I think it's different. Yeah. I think it's different. Uh, I think that people who have lost their spouses um, and were in happy marriages mm-hmm. may be bring to a second marriage certain expectations that people who were in bad marriages don't necessarily have. Mm -hmm. And those people may bring, you know, different patterns, patterns of arguing or patterns, then it's different. It's different. And regardless of how you ended up in a second marriage, there's a lot of adjusting and Mm -hmm. challenges. Starting over. And and joy. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's positive to hear. Um, You also wrote a memoir right after your husband passed away, correct? Yes. And that memoir, it's called After Image, A Brokenhearted Memoir of a Charmed Life. Yes. And did you have the brainchild for this novel while you were writing that book? Um, no, but I would say shortly thereafter. Okay, so the memoir came first. The memoir came first, definitely. Do you think that the memoir helped you process your loss? It must have, though it didn't feel like it in real time. (laughs) Right. Um, It was just sort of something that had to be vomited out. Mm -hmm. But, um, and then of course, I went back and refined it. Mm -hmm. But it it clearly did. It must have. It, It helped me to think about different aspects of the last two years of my life. Right. 
in in more productive ways. Well, that's healthy and that's good. My follow-up to that is what was the writing process like for this novel versus your memoir versus working on a book with your dad? Well, working on the book with my dad on his autobiography um, was a very particular structured sort of experience. We did it over two years. I went to his house three or four days a week, and we mm-hmm. worked for three or four hours a day. Mm-hmm. And then I compiled everything and went back and revisited material we had already discussed and went deeper and deeper and deeper, sort of an archaeological dig. <laughs> and um, then I then I wrote it. So that was a very structured sort of so thing. So that was like you were acting as a ghostwriter almost. Um, yes, it's written in first person. It's written in okay. his voice. Yeah. So yes. And then the memoir of, of my two years of that experience. It's it's the first year after my husband died and the year, the last year of his life, mm-hmm. um, was very um, amorphic. It was it really was not a structured experience. Okay. In all honesty, Jessica, I don't remember it that much. I mean, I can't blame you. Yeah. I I. I, I do remember one particular moment mm-hmm. when I had sort of been thinking I was just doing it for myself. Right. And I remember writing one particular phrase and looking at the screen and thinking, oh, this is actually a book. <laughs> it's just something came out that seemed very writerly. <laughs> and I thought, okay, this is maybe going to grow up to be a book. Mm-hmm. So that had its own sort of energy. Right. And then this one... Um, Took a really long time. Oh no! I sort of feel like I learned how to write a novel. Yeah. On the job in of this course. one, Doesn't I started everybody? out writing it. Yes, I started <laughs> out without an outline, with a bunch of characters and the situation. Okay. And I wrote it in third person for the first several drafts, and then people, I the few people who read it were giving me some reaction that they weren't really quite understanding her motivation, mm-hmm. which I know is always going to be a topic of conversation Absolutely. with this book anyway. But then I went back and wrote it in first person, which allowed me to get into her head a little bit more. And I hope that addressed that issue a little bit. Do you think that writing it in first person helped you and your readers understand her perspective a little bit more because you had a history of writing in first person? That's very possible. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, but that, that's very possible. It mm-hmm. was sort of comfortable territory, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes it a little bit more easy to highlight and um, express a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. And as I said, to get into her head. Yep. And this is a book about a woman who cannot get out of her own head. Yeah. So that was really helpful. Who, who her, her chief problem is that she gets in her own way by being stuck in her head. Yeah. Doesn't everybody though? Well, I, I, that's what I thought. But some people <laughs> say no. I think everybody gets. I think everybody is their own worst enemy and their own worst critic. Always. Right. What was your personal takeaway from writing this novel? Well, in terms of the writing process, it's that with my new novel that I've now started, I am really going to try to commit to an outline before I start, <laughs> so that maybe I could shave a few years off the process. Yeah. Isn't um, that the dream? Yes, that's the dream, and. Thematically, in terms of the content of the book, I would say that there's a lot of me in in the lead character, Mora, mm-hmm. and some of the aspects of me that I'm least proud of are hers in a more exaggerated way. Right. So I think maybe by giving them to her, 
I can learn to soften those edges a little bit in myself. That is a wonderful concept is writing about your faults for lack of better word or your things that you do that maybe aren't the healthiest for yourself or for your family or for your whatever and working through it in the guise of a fictional character exactly i think that that's a wonderful growth and a wonderful tactic in learning how to handle things and learning more about yourself we'll see how that works out you can ask the people (laughs) around me (laughs) um has your daughter it's your daughter read the book she read an early version she has not yet read the the latest version uh what did she think about it she seemed to love it yeah (laughs) she's very proud yeah no she seemed to to like it very much Mm -hmm. so uh do you think that your group of friends or your community at home is are, are they supportive of your novel writing oh very much yeah very much yeah do they enjoy did they did they also read early copies of it uh, some did, some didn't. Very few people read early copies. Yeah. Very, a chosen few, sort of my... Were you protecting it? Um, no, I was probably protecting myself <laughs> from getting too much input that I couldn't cope with. Right. Do you think now that it's finished and it's, and it's done and out now that um, you, you feel less nervous about it? You're always nervous, but... Um, <laughs> At least now, if someone gives me input, it won't send you me back to the drawing board. Can't, I can't you do can't anything go about change it. it. It's done. This it's is what done. it is. You can't. I can't change it now. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's wonderful, and I'm really happy to be on this journey with you and working with you for this novel. And I'm very excited to see what happens next and me too. what else comes out. Thank you so much for being with me today, Carla. Thank you, Jessica. This was wonderful. So much. I'm happy that I was able to ask you some interesting questions that you hadn't thought of before it's my favorite part of doing these you kinds really of did you Good. really really did it's my that's my job here <laughs> thank you so much thank you for being here thank you to andrew back there behind the glass for being our wonderful sound dude <laughs> thank you everybody and i look forward to next time goodbye